Amen. It's good to be here this morning and uh, to be able to just think about the things of the Lord and worship the Lord. I want to second what um, James said just a few moments ago. We're grateful for Friends Day yesterday, last week rather, and um, what a blessing that day was. Um, let, let, let me tell you something about, <clears throat> tell you something about church growth. <clears throat> this I've experienced in my years of ministry that the potential of the church from time to time just kind of just manifests itself. And then as we progress slowly towards what God wants us to become or to a, a greater <clears throat> place that God wants us to, to get to. And so as the church begins to grow, there'll be those moments when the church is full and then we come back to our size and then we keep growing and keep growing and keep growing as we reach more and more people with the gospel of Jesus. And, um, and uh, that's what happened last Sunday. Last Sunday was a great day, and uh, it was the result of our, of our efforts, our evangelistic efforts with uh, the strategy of Jesus, you know, our evangelistic cycle, inviting friends to church. When we invite our friends to church and we make that a priority with ourselves, you know what's going to happen? Our friends are going to come to church, and, um, and they're going to... Uh, be able to become aware of the goodness of God and are going to get integrated into the church and begin to live for the Lord. So there's tremendous potential whenever the church gets on its responsibility of just inviting friends and bringing people to Jesus Christ. We can do it. And, um, and we've just got to commit ourselves to not just doing it on days when we've got special activities, although that's really important, but rather committing ourselves completely to this is our life. Our mission in life is to win people to Jesus Christ. And that means we bring people to church and we talk to people about God and, and we do everything that God has called us to do. This is our responsibility. Everyone say we can do it. Amen. With the help of the Lord, there's no question in my mind. And last week was just a, it was a, um, it was an indication of the Lord for every one of us of the things that can really be done if we'll just stay focused on what Christ has called us to do, and that's to bring Jesus, bring Jesus to the people. Everyone say amen to that. So I want to congratulate all of you. You uh, did a great job and continue to do that, continue to work for the kingdom of God, and we're going to see people come to the Lord Jesus, which is the most important thing. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. And by the way, let me just say this, that on the, uh, I think it's on the 9th or somewhere around there of this coming week, this coming week, this coming month of April, we're going to have baptisms in the name of Jesus. And, um, and we've already got some people that are lined up that are ready to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And I know there's others that are still going to be committing themselves to being baptized in Jesus' name. And we thank God for everyone that God has just been dealing with and, um, and for the decisions that you've made to give your life to Jesus Christ. So we encourage anyone that's considering baptism, that's considering surrendering their lives to Jesus and being baptized in his name to, to make that decision firm. Romans chapter 1, let's all stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and we're going to read a couple of texts. In fact, 
We're going to read verse 18 all the way down to verse 32. <clears throat> and I want to I wanna, uh, preach here today. I hope I get to everything. I think I will. On the subject, the balanced, the balanced Christian life. There's supposed to be a balance in our Christian life. And you know what brings balance to our Christian life? Theology does. No, knowledge of the scriptures do. And if we can get a complete picture. So today I'm going to do something that um, I'm going to go through the scriptures, but I'm going to deal with them like in, in general truths, right? We're going to take like three steps back. And we're going to review something that we began studying in, in, um, in January of 2016. And that's um, the book of Romans. And what we did from that January 2016, I think it was like 2018 or 19, something like that. We're on the book of Romans, and chapters 1 through uh, chapter 6. And, um, and we went verse by verse, and, and uh, we dealt with it in a lot of detail. But today what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back. I'm going to begin a, a series of messages on chapter 7 and 8 of Romans. That's going to be for the next couple of months. And, um, and we'll, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take two or three steps back, all of us, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 through chapter 6 from like a general panoramic view. Now, obviously I'm not going to do anything close to what we've done the last you know, those years that I mentioned, but I do want you to get, I do want you to get a general sense of what Romans chapters 1 through 3 is talking about and the Romans chapter 5 and 6 is talking about. Because what that does is it, it explains to us then Romans chapter 7 and 8. So I'm going to kind of lay a foundation, just taking a couple of steps back and looking at these chapters. And, and I hope that what it results in is that we understand God wants us to live a balance. Everyone say balance. A balanced Christian life, right? And, and let me just say it again. Balance comes through theology. If you got wrong theology, then your life's not going live, to get lived right. But if you got a clear understanding about what, how, what God says in the Bible, then you're going to live a life that is holy and righteous and and good. Let's read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because they which may that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image, an image made like, unto corruptible, like to corruptible men. And to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who 
changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust one towards another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. And receiving in themselves a recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that when, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only they that do the same, but they that have pleasure in them. That's a pretty, it's a pretty strong scripture, right? It's really important. In fact, this scripture is foundational to living life as a Christian properly. If you don't get this scripture, can't live right. And so we're going to talk about that today. I wrote the help of the Lord. You pray for me, so God, God will give me grace. I don't want to come here and get on your guys' case. That's not my intention. My intention is to speak to you what the Word of God is and just let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's got to do. And Father, we thank you for your Word and we thank you for being gathered together and for your goodness and your kindness. And we pray that you would bless us as we hear the Word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, give us faith to believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As I said in January of 2016, I started a series of messages on the book of Romans. And today, what I'm going to do in this mini-series or this series on Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, chapter 8 is that, um, that I'm gonna, we're going to take a couple of steps back and we're going to look at the general messages of those six chapters. Now, admittedly, I'm going to spend most of my time today in Romans chapter 1, the text that we just got done reading, because I think there's an important point to be made for the church in this text. And that's, well, I'll make the points as we go along here, but without getting a proper understanding of sin, sin, I'm to Christians now, without having a proper understanding of sin, we we're not going to live our Christian lives as God desires us to live it. We're, there's gonna, there are going to be errors and there are going to be mistakes that we are going to make. And there's going to be unnecessary pain that we're going to have to live with as Christians. And there may be failure for some in the Christian walk if we're not careful and we don't understand properly the doctrines of sin or the, the, what the Bible says about sin. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. In fact, let me just give you overall just briefly what chapters 1, 2, and 3 speak about. Chapter 1 of the book of Romans talked to us about, first of all, the gospel. Gospel is, is what all of Romans is explaining. It's explaining the good news of Jesus Christ. It's explaining uh, what it is in great detail. 
And then it's explaining what the implications of the gospel are in the latter chapters of the book of Romans. Chapter 1 speaks, first of all, of gospel. Then it talks about sin. And uh, it talks about how sin, um, how sin interacted with men, just in very general terms. The effect that sin has in the heart or in the life of an individual. And that's generally speaking. And then in Romans chapter 2, Paul ch still talking about sin, but he focus, changes the focus and he puts the attention on the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is a very religious nation. They had the truth. They knew about one God. They uh, had great fathers, spiritual fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had a great heritage. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the promises of God. A lot of things going for them. And still, the problem with that kind of a people, kind of like us, right, that have a lot of blessings from the Lord and a lot of insight as to God in the scriptures, is that we can take what we know about God and then judge others and saying they're wrong and we're right without really taking our faith, this is not everyone, this is some, without taking the importance of faith and living for God in a way that pleases God is the priority of our lives. We just have religion. We don't necessarily need God in order to have religion. All you really need is a, a knowledge of God, an understanding of God, maybe an experience with God, but not necessarily God in your life in order for you to have religion. And that's, that's where a lot of people are, right? A lot of people kind of like God looks at the nation of Israel and he says, hey, listen, don't be, don't be judging others because you guys have the Ten Commandments and because you guys are religious. You have not just religious, but you have the right religion. Don't judge others. You guys are just as guilty as the entire world. In fact, you have greater responsibility before God. And then in Romans chapter 3, um, he moves from the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1 to the Jews in chapter 2 and moves to the entire world. And he says, hey, listen, everybody's guilty. On this sin problem, this sin question, no one gets an escape. Everyone has failed. And, um, and so he kind of settles it down so that no one, not righteous, unrighteous, not religious, non-religious, not secular, not whatever you might be, whatever you might call yourself, no one is exempt from the problem of sin. And then in Romans chapter 4, he talks about this great discovery, right? Now, he switches his theme from sin to the subject of faith and righteousness. Faith and and uh, and salvation, and then in Romans chapter five, chapter four, he says Abraham makes a great discovery, and the great discovery of Abraham is this: if you believe God and trust God, then God gives you righteousness. The righteousness of the people of God is not their own righteousness; it's an imputed righteousness. God gives you the righteousness you do not have. Because Romans 1, 2, and 3, we are all sinners. And so if anyone in the church is going to call themselves righteous, it's not, not going to be because of your works. It's not going to be because you're better than anyone else. It's not going to be because you have more Bible knowledge than others. It's going to simply be because Jesus Christ has given you the righteousness that you lacked. And so how do you get that righteousness? 
That's the great discovery of Abraham. All you have to do is believe the gospel. If you believe the gospel, you get Christ's perfect righteousness. And that ends up in salvation. Sinners, Romans 1, 2, 3, are made righteous, Romans 4 and 6, if we will just believe the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And, and so he, he says something that's really sinful in these six chapters, simple, in these six chapters that are significant to the Christian life. All right? So now there are, there are entire denominations and groups of Christians that put a lot of emphasis in Romans 1, 2, 3. And they're judgmental and they're critical and they make their people feel condemned and guilty all of the time. And, um, and that's not healthy Christianity. And then there's another group of Christians. There's a whole large group of Christians over on the other side that put all their emphasis on Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, and Romans chapter 6. And for them, it's all about grace and it's all about faith. And it's all about forgiveness. Faith and forgiveness is their message. And they kind of diminish the importance of sin. Joel Osteen and a lot of other denominations are right there. Don't talk about sin. Everybody knows that they're a sinner. That's not true. Not everybody knows that they're a sinner. I came to church. Yeah, you know, everybody messes up. But I didn't really know or think about that I was a sinner that was on my way to hell. And so... There's Christians that put a lot of emphasis on the grace, no emphasis or not much emphasis on the sin. And then there's some Christians that put all the emphasis on the sin and not much emphasis on the grace. And all of those denominations, or maybe even Christians, are out of balance. Feeling condemned all the time because of all the sin and they're messing up in their lives. Or the other ones, they don't feel hardly any guilt. It's all by grace. We're saved by God's goodness. All we got to do is believe God and we're good. And they're out of balance. Either one way or the other way. And what God wants, and that's why we have Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, is that God wants to get these two great weighty truths that we're sinners and that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And he wants to bring balance to the Christian life. Right? And so that's what, that's what the attempt is. So what I want to do today, and that generally speaking is the message, the, the, the whole context of the message that I'm going to have for you for the next couple of weeks. But today what I want to do is I want us to go back just for a few moments and I want us to think about the problem of sin, Romans 1, 2, and 3. All right, and then we'll talk for a few moments after that about faith and righteousness. Just get those two things in your heart clearly. Because for every one of us, first thing, every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know this. Sin is a serious problem. Amen. For me. And for all of us. Amen. We don't play with sin. We don't toy with sin. We don't let sin go. If we know there's sin in our lives, we're doing everything to try to get it out. We're doing everything we can to deal with the sin in our lives. We don't take an indifferent attitude towards sin because sin is serious business. Say amen. amen. All right, now look with me at verse 18, please. It says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, what? Read it with me. Against, say, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. 
So God doesn't make a distinction between little sins, medium sins, big sins. And this is the attitude that every one of us as believers must take against sin. I am opposed to all sin. I don't know who it was that said, and I heard it just last week in some message or something, that one of the great Bible preachers of the past says, if the world is against Christ, then I am against the world. I like that, right? Because our position very clearly is that we're taking a position. We're not going to be neutral. We're not going to sit on the fence. Here's what God says about ungodliness, anything that makes you not like God, and unrighteousness, any works that are impure and unclean. My position is this. Our position is this. We're against it. Little sins, big sins, medium sins, any kind of sins. Mind sins, heart sins, literal sins, worked out sins, thought sins, every kind of sin. We're against it. That's the attitude that believers are supposed to take on sin. Now, why is that? Look, listen, God is angry at sin and unrighteousness. Look at verse 18 again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all what? Unrighteousness, ungodliness, and unrighteousness of who? Of men. So that's, that's an important thing. God is angry at sin. Can't get rid of that truth. His anger is revealed from heaven against. God is opposed to unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. To the um, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So that's a... It's an important thing for us to know. Every time that a person sins, sin strikes up, stirs up the anger of God. That's the truth. Now, what do men do with that? God is angry at sin. He's not pleased with sin. Well, what do we do with that reality of sin and God's anger towards sin? Well, look at the last part of a verse. It says, let's read the verse again. Read it out loud with me together. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Listen to this now. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, that word hold, you need to underline or you need a circle in your Bible. If you have your Bible with you, and I encourage all of you to bring them to church. And, um, and that word is, and I don't know Greek or I don't know Hebrew, but I know how to read concordances, all right? So... Um, here's the read, katecho, K-E-T-E-C-H-O. That's the, that's the Hebrew word, the Greek word, rather. And what it means is to hold down. It means to suppress. It means to get a, a firm hold on something, get it, hold it strongly, and then push it down. So... What do men do with this truth? God is angry at sin. And he's angry at all, all sin and all unrighteousness that men commit. We get a hold of that truth and then they suppress it. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to believe that. I don't think that's true. And so we create all kinds of things to... To not look at the sin that's in our lives. Or men do all kinds of things to not look at. They deny the existence of God. They say that 
uh, uh, that that guilt over sin is damaging to the uh, to the psychological health of an individual, and that the answer is to get rid of the idea of sin. And men have a multitude of ways of trying to deal with this issue, trying to get a hold of the problem of sin and that God is angry at sin and pushing it down. But the world are not the only ones that do that. Sometimes in the church, we do the same thing. We take the light sins of our heart, and then what we do is we get a hold of it firmly, and we say, light sins don't matter. We get a hold of the things in our lives where you've got an anger issue or you've got a character issue or maybe you're looking at stuff that you shouldn't look at or you're doing things that you ought not to do. But they're not the big sins. And so we get those sins and we suppress them. We say, God, what really affects and damages my life is the big stuff. God is not concerned with the little things in my life. So we suppress it and we bring it under and we don't want to think about the fact that God, as the Bible says, is angry against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men. So, so how do I look at sin? Well, I hate sin. Isn't it interesting? Tom Doubt said this. The chains of sin are too light to be felt. Until they are too heavy to be broken. I like that, right? I think that's good because the light sins that sometimes beset us and that sometimes affect our lives are like, okay, just got to feel bad about that for a little bit and get it off my conscience and then move along. Maybe go to church and hear the pastor preach about grace and feel better about my Christian life. But I think it's so important to think that you can get these light sins on you and suppress the reality of the impact that they could potentially have in your life if they ever fully develop and mature. And then by the time, if you'll let it go and let it go and let it go, by the time it's weighing on you, it's like, man, it's, it's heavy on you. It's because the chains are so thick, it's going to be difficult to break the chains at that point. And that's that's what sin does, isn't it? So we, we suppress the reality of sin. We attempt to remove the guilt of sin. But here's another truth. That the suppression of the reality of sin does not make the guilt of sin before God go away. That's verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who is this talking about? You know what it's talking about? People that don't even know. These are people that are that are out in the world and, and, and they may not have heard the gospel expounded as clearly as you and I have. They may not have a Bible that they can refer to and yet the Bible says God has revealed himself in creation and because God has revealed himself in creation and the invisible things of creation are clearly speaking about the existence of a good and a benevolent God then that in of itself makes men without excuse. That's, fast, that's fascinating to me. Because the suppression of truth, verse number 18, 
is not going to be an excuse before God. The suppression of the reality of sin does not remove our guilt. We're still guilty. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to have that in my mind. I don't want that to have, stay in my conscience. But the suppression of truth, everybody needs to get this now. The suppression of truth does not remove the guilt and the conscience. And the consequences of sin. Listen, my dear brothers. And I'm talking to the church now. If it, The fact that we are struggling with something. The fact that we're, there's something that's bothering us. And we're, we're, we're struggling with it. And it's tearing us down. The worst thing you can do is to get that and just set it aside. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to act like it's not there. I'm going to act like it's not a big deal. I'm going to categorize that in the light sense. That do not condemn. That's the worst thing you can do if you're a Christian. You know what you got to do? You got to take it to the blood. You got to take it to Jesus Christ. You got to openly confess your sins and believe that the grace of God and the power of God is more than sufficient to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you of unrighteousness. But what we cannot do is suppress it and say it's not a big deal. Every sin, small or great, is a big deal. Oh, somebody say amen. Now, we all have a bunch of excuses for our sin. We're real clear on everybody else's sin. But we're not very good at our own sin. Well, I'm going to say it again. I'm saying we got 20-20 vision with everybody else's sin and what they ought to do and what they ought not to do. But we've got like 15-20 vision when it comes to our own sins. We got a great, uh, a, a great capacity for excusing our sinfulness while making it very clear that everybody else ought to be right in the presence of God. Oh, come on, somebody give them praise right now. And so the Bible says, no, 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 no. Don't be suppressing sin and don't be criticizing anybody else. Listen, if you have sinned, you're guilty before God. And if you're guilty before God, you'd better make it right. And the way to make it right as a Christian is to confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and get rid of the weight of sin. We're always fighting sin. Look at your neighbor and tell him, just keep fighting sin. So, I'm going to get my excuses. I'm weak. Oh, you know what the worst thing is about all of this stuff? Is that there's some people that dare to use the scriptures to justify their sin. Come on, somebody say amen. Well, I know that I'm fornicating, but you know what? It's just that I'm weak in the flesh in that area. My dad was a fornicator. My granddad was a fornicator. And it's just a problem that we've had in our, in our, in our lives all this time. And my dad backslid and, and this and the other happened in my life. You've got a million excuses for justifying your sin before the Lord. And you know, the worst thing you could possibly say is, it's all covered by grace anyway. Oh, somebody say amen. 
If you're justifying your sin by saying it's all covered by grace anyway, you need to repent more than you know you need to repent. You don't use your theology to excuse your sin. You use your theology to get right with God. You use your theology to call on the blood of Jesus. You use your theology to turn away from your sin and turn to God again. You fight. Do I sound like a man? I'm mad at the devil. I love you guys. That's why I'm preaching to you the way that I'm preaching to you. But I'm mad at the devil. And I'm mad at every false idea that sometimes gets into the heads of Christians that we could be messing around and, and juking and jiving around and everything else that we do with the devil, dance with the devil, and think that we're going to be all right with God. It don't happen that way, brothers. Say amen. It's all covered by the blood. That's sacrilegious. No, 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 no. I just said that wrong. Don't put that on YouTube. It's all covered by the blood. But to excuse your sin. To justify your continuing to sin is wrong. Hey, listen. Here's another truth. That sin pulls you downward. Say it. Sin pulls us downward. Every time. Every time. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And then it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. Sin will treat you real good at the very beginning. It'll give you pleasure and joy and all those kinds of things. But there's a diminishing factor in sin. And that it always gives you the very best at the beginning. The pleasure, the joy, the happiness, the smile, the good feeling. All of that stuff. But it doesn't get better after that. It never gets better after the good feeling. It'll take you from the high place to the low place. That's what sin does in the life of every single individual. Come on, somebody say amen. It can line your bank account with a lot of money, but money's not going to make you happy. It can give you a thousand sexual encounters with different people, but sex is not going to make you happy. It'll destroy your life at the end of the day unless you get your heart right with God. And you say, I turn from my sin and I turn towards the Savior. Oh, how many of you know that Jesus loves you? And how many of you know that Jesus will forgive all of your sins? And how many of you know that it doesn't matter how much you've messed up, he'll take you again because he's a God of love and of mercy. Thank God for the mercy of God. <laughs> I thank God for his grace, but I come to tell you today that it matters how we live and that we fight sin and that we not give ourselves over to sin, but that we live to the glory of God. Sin's going to pull you downward. And so that's what the Bible says, verse 21. Read it with me. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Well, what happens when we suppress truth? The truth 
of sin. What happens when we suppress the truth of God? When we don't want to see the reality and the love and the mercies and, and the holiness of our God. What happens to us? Well, there's two things that happen, at least that I can see in the scripture. Number one, people keep sinning. And it's not going to get better. It always gets worse. You move from light chains to heavy chains. You move from something that's not evident and not visible to something that people become aware of. You know why God lets people become aware of our sins? Because he loves us too much to drag them along and just to keep them there and eventually end up in utter destruction. He loves you too much. And so if he absolutely must do it, he'll let your brother find out about your sin. And if he absolutely must do it, your mama's going to find out something she ought never to have found out. And if, and if you keep persisting in your sin, your husband is going to find out what's been going on all along all of these years. And why does God do it? Because God hates you? No. He wants you to straighten up. He wants you to turn again to him. He wants you to get your heart right with God. And if you will get your heart right with God, God will bless you. And God will multiply his blessings upon you. And God will fill you with the Holy Ghost one more time. And God will set you on the straight and narrow again. Because the mercies of the Lord are great. And they're new every day. Oh, I feel the, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Come on, somebody give him a hand praise. And just worship his holy name. Praise God. Praise God. L listen to the scriptures with me. Number one, let me just say this again. Number one, God, two things happen when we, when we as a people, or when a people suppress the truth of God. Two things happen. Number one, people sin, and that's always going to be in greater and greater portions. The, the, the trend is not up, it's down. And then the second thing that happens is this. God judges our persistence in sin. That always happens. You could never get worse than you are unless God judges the sin, your persistence in sinning, your insistence in doing what is wrong, the perversion of your will from choosing righteousness now to consistently choosing sin. God steps into that scenario. And God makes a declaration over that scenario. God gives you up. Hey, anybody ever, can anybody identify with me and saying that you thought one day, I'd never do that. I'll never end up there. I'll never say those things. I'll never harbor bitterness in my heart. I'll never become that immoral. I'll never get addicted to drugs. Drinking I can control. You said all those kinds of things. And then you found yourself exactly what you said you would never be. How does a man or a woman move from the strong determination of I will never become that and I will never do that to the fallen and lowly place, to the valley where he has committed everything that he said he would not do and he has violated every moral law that he said he would not violate. You know how? Because you persisted in your sin and you wouldn't turn from your sin. God gave you up. He judged your persistence. In sinning. Somebody say, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me, let me slow down. Let me slow down. I feel the Holy Ghost. And, and I'm just feeling passionate about what 
I feel in my heart right now, but listen, because you know why? Because God is reaching out to somebody here right now. He's not telling you, I'm turning you away. He's saying, I love you, and I'm trying to draw you closer to me. I'm, I'm trying to get your heart right in the presence of the Lord. I'm, I'm trying to turn you around again, because if you keep going the way that you're going, disaster is going to strike. If you keep going the way you're going, you're going to leave the ways of the Lord. And I want to bless you, and I want to be with you, and I want to offer you my grace and my mercy one more time. Turn away. And come back to me, says the Lord. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. Look at verse 24 with me, please. When we do not repent of our sins and we, God will judge our persistence in sinning. Look at verse 24. Wherefore, God gave them up. Read that phrase with me. Read the whole verse with me. Wherefore, God gave them up. To uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the glory of God into a lie. And worshiped and served the creature. More than the creator who is blessed forever. Say amen. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about all kinds of immorality. But you still have kept. Certain laws of God in their place. It's talking about men messing. It's talking about men messing with women and women messing with men. It's talking about robbing and stealing and all the stuff that men do, but they're still holding a certain morality, a certain foundation in culture and in their own consciences and their own minds. They dishonor their own bodies. That's immorality between themselves. Who? change the truth of God into a lie. Notice that in order for you to be able to live with that kind of immorality, in order for you to be able to live with that kind of wrong living, you've got to change God's truth into a lie. You've got to take the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of forgiveness and the doctrine of a loving God and you've got to corrupt the doctrine so that it accommodates your life and your desires. And I want to tell you, my friends, God will judge that kind of an attitude. You can't take God's love and make it something ugly. You can't take God's grace that wants to make you better and make it something that's going to end up making you worse and not have God said, wait a minute. I didn't, never intended my word to mean that. And my grace was never meant to do that. I'm going to step in. And if you're going to persist in that kind of sin and that kind of a mindset, I'm going to judge that kind of way of thinking. Oh, somebody say amen. Come on, somebody say amen. He gave them up to uncleanliness through the lusts of their own hearts. Now look at verse number 26. For this cause, God again gave them up to what? To, come on, everyone, read it with me. We're in verse number 20, 20, 25 now, 26. Put 26 up. For this cause, read it with me in a loud voice. For this cause, God gave them up. Say, he gave them up. Unto what? To vile affections. Well, what are vile affections? Well, it sounds a little bit worse, perhaps, than what the Bible just got done calling uncleanness. First, it's all sin. There's uncleanness, and then there's 
vile affections. Now I'm going to take my time on this just for a few moments. Even their own women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, lesbianism. And likewise, the men also, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one to another, homosexuality. Men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. Now, I'm going to tell you what. All of the homosexuality that's going on in our culture today and all of that non-binary gender identity stuff that's going on in our culture today and all of the young people and older people and, and everyone else that's involved in that, I'm going to tell you what that's bringing to our culture. You talk to those people. They're not healthy. They don't feel good about themselves. They're broken. I've got people in my own family that, that are struggling with those issues. And I want to tell you what you see in their hearts. They're broken. They're confused in their hearts and in their minds. They need the mercy of God and the grace of God. The world has lied to them. The devil has set things in, in the heart of all of these individuals so that they, you lose the natural use. They, they, something has happened in their mind and in their heart that is against nature, the Bible says. And they're burning in lust one towards another. Let me tell you something here. In fact, let me take you to the last verse of Romans chapter 1. All of you go with me there. And I just want to say something here that I think is important. Look with, we, with me at Romans chapter 1 and look at the last verse of chapter 1. Here's what it says. Verse 30 and 32. It says, well, let's go to verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. We be very careful about not just practicing those things, but taking pleasure in those things. And here I'm gonna, I'm gonna just gonna say something to the church real quick, and that's this: we need to be very careful about our position in all of these matters that are going on in our culture today. What we ought not to do, like we do not do with sin, is get judgmental and critical. And we certainly do not mock people that are struggling with these sins. But what we do do is take a very clear stand. This is in violation of the word of God. And these things are damaging people. And they're hurting people. It is no, it is no coincidence that... The, the more people get involved in those kinds of perversions, the greater the suicide rates rise. The more people are involved in those kinds of sins, the worse they feel. The more psychological problems they begin to experience. Why does all of this happen? Because it all started off real good. It started off with pleasure. It started off something exciting, something new. They were a part of the in-group, but eventually that, that joy and that happiness rather that they have and the pleasure that they're experiencing begins to deteriorate and the reality of the fact that they have violated God's laws begins to settle on their minds and so they suppress the truth and they suppress the truth and the more they suppress the truth the more psychological and emotional and spiritual problems that they have and the more misery and sadness and depression and anxiety arises in their lives oh my brothers I want to tell you something that Jesus loves 
loves the homosexual. And Jesus loves the individual that has lost in all of these sins. And what Jesus wants is to heal them and to bless them and to make them right. He wants them to be well. But in order for that to happen, the church has got to take its place. The church has got to stand for righteousness and preach the love and the mercy of God for all people. Doesn't matter who you are. We just love people. It doesn't matter how terrible your sin. We're just supposed to love people. We're supposed to tell them the gospel of Jesus. And we're supposed to tell them of their sin. And of the avenue that God has created for them to come to God. Right, I'm going to get off that just for a second now. But do you see what I'm saying? Sin is always going to take you down. Two things. Men persist in sin. And then God judges their persistence with Letting the bottom fall out. And they sin more and more and more and more. Listen to this. The goal is the captivity of the will. That's the objective. Make a man's will a prisoner. And he's really a captive indeed. <laughs> a lot of people walking around. No chains on their hands. No fetters on their feet. But. But they're captive. You better believe they're captive. I see them all the time. Some come to church and they look like they're free and they talk about grace. But oh my God, are they captive? They're, they're captive. You don't know it because you can't see it. But Lord of heaven, they're captive. Because sin has, 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 has made them prisoners. It is, you say, well, where's, where's the captivity? It's in their minds. It's in their will. The will has become subjugated. Their, 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 their determination to, to do what's right has been weakened. It's been dealt a mortal blow. And they find themselves fighting against sin and resisting sin as best they can. But failure after failure. And they're just not making it. They're not living for God as, as they know they ought to live. Can I illustrate this? Go with me to the book of, Sam, of Judges, please, chapter 13. And you guys that know about the book of Judges know that from time to time, God, after he brought them out of Egypt and established them in the land of Canaan, that he gave them judges to judge the people. And the people were always going back to idolatry and sinning, and God would send them judges and the judges would help them. One of the very, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, probably the most, if not the second most famous of all the judges is Samson. And look at verse 1325. The Bible says this, and the spirit of the Lord, read it with me if you would. And the spirit of the Lord began to move in him at times. In the camp of Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. Isn't that great? There's this guy, he's about 20 years old, maybe something like that. And uh, God begins to move on him at times. Everyone say at times. You know, brother, not too long ago I heard him preach. He said that was a concerning verse. Because it's so, so 
has such tremendous parallels to the way Christian people live their lives. We have those, those times. You ever been there? But the Spirit of the Lord is moving upon you. And you're like, man, you're broken. And you're crying. And you're, you're wanting God. And, and you're wanting to live righteously. And, and there's no greater desire before you than, hey, I want to do this the right way. And, and you're in the house of the Lord. And the choir is singing. The preacher is preaching. And you're in the altar. And, the, and, and everything is just right. And you're, 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 the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. At times. Then we leave the house. And that spirit of the Lord is not prevailing upon us at that moment. Every time service is over, it's kind of like, okay, that's pretty much done. And that's what most Samson's life is, is like. In fact, you know, one of the interesting things about Samson is this. That the first words, if you'll read verse chapter 14, I don't think we have that on the overhead. But if you'll read chapter 14, verse 1, look at the first things. The first words that Samson ever speaks in the Bible. And Samson went down to Timnah. And saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He shouldn't, he shouldn't even have been looking at her because she wasn't, she wasn't saved. Let me stop here for a second. Now, this is not in my notes. I'm going to let you have this free. All right? If you're a Christian, an apostolic Christian, you shouldn't be looking at nobody else as a potential wife or husband than an apostolic Christian. Now, I didn't get, I fell about as flat as flat can fall, but I, I at least needed some parents to say amen to that one. Oh, somebody say amen. Hey, listen, listen, listen. Jesus did not call me to be a preacher, to be a friend of the people when I'm preaching. I've got one responsibility behind this pulpit, and that's to be a friend of God. I've got one responsibility that's forgot to say, good job, Phil. You did a good job preaching that message. And you all might get mad at me, and that's all right. You can get mad at me all you want. But I'm telling you that if you've got a worldly boyfriend or girlfriend, you're living in sin, and you're heading for trouble. Come on, somebody say amen now. That's what the Bible said. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't you do it. And if you're doing, you're running a lot of risk, my beloved brother. And I'm telling you that, sister, because I love you. Say amen. Surely. I'm going to tell you guys a story I never told in church before. My sister doesn't even know the story, I don't think. When I was a young fella, I was already baptized in Jesus' name. <laughs> Should I tell the story? I know you all want to hear it. So I was maybe 16 years old, something like 17 years old. I think I was about 17 years old. And uh, I met this girl. Her name was Blanca. Right. And I thought she was cute. You know, she was a Catholic girl. Wasn't saved. And she, I mean, she was a sweet, nice girl. Wasn't saved. And so I kind of got interested in her a little bit. And I remember I, I had all my credits. I'd get out of high school, half day. And I get on my bicycle and I drive all the way down to St. Anthony's Catholic Church. And I'd walk her home. Sister Rosier, she's not here, right? There she is. She's never heard this story either. I'd walk her home. Happened for about a month and a half, I think. And um, I just walked her home, nothing more, all right? Walked her home with her sister. And I remember that after a while, I found out that they, that 
they knew the Ramirez's. Stephanie Ramirez and Frankie Ramirez. My friends and brothers in Christ. Because I was baptized. And I didn't repent because the Lord convicted me. I, I repented because I thought I was going to get in trouble. <laughs> but as soon as I found out that they were connected with them. And then that they found out that this young fella was going over there to visit Blanca. Man. I said, okay, we're done. I, this, is the, this is not from the Lord. And I cut that off immediately, stopped visiting, just dropped it, and, and, and went out and found Sister Rose. Yeah. Right, now listen to me. Now listen to me. Let me see. So I'm not saying if you've messed up, the whole God, you're going to go to hell. I'm saying you got to get it right. And you got to listen to the word of God. Say Amen. Now, you're, you're coming into the house of God, and you're feeling the presence of God and everything else, and the Spirit of the Lord is moving upon you. But that, that's awesome, because right then you got clarity. But I'm asking, what are you doing when the, when the music stops, and when the preacher stops preaching, and when the, and when the altar call is done, and when you're going home? What, what about what's moving on you then? What's moving on you then? Come on, somebody give them praise and glory right now. It's... And so listen, listen, listen. Let, me, let, me just, let me calm myself down a little bit here. And so Samson is interesting because Samson is, um, is, um, is experiencing this movement of God for, upon his life at times. Everyone say at times. At times. And then look at verse number 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman. Here's the first thing the Bible says about Samson. Say, he saw a woman. In Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And then look at the second thing he's, the Bible says about him. And he came up and told his father and his mother. And he said, I have seen a woman. In Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, second thing he says, get her for me. And then look at verse number three. The last couple of words. It says there, for she pleaseth me. So this is, this is a prophet. Listen, listen, listen. This is a prophet that the Spirit of the Lord is going to move mightily upon him. But when the Spirit of God is moving mightily upon him, something else is moving on him. And it's not the Spirit of the Lord. When the Spirit of the Lord is moving upon this great prophet of God, he gets a job on the Why is that happening? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And as long as the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, he's doing mighty exploits. Look at 14.6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Look at 14.19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Look at 15.14. And when they came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So this is a guy 
that from time to time the Spirit of the Lord is moving upon him. And while the Spirit of the Lord is moving upon him, he's strong, he's mighty, he's victorious. When the Spirit of the Lord is not moving upon him, he looks at his mama and his papa and he says, I've seen a woman. And she pleases me. I like her. She looks good. Go get her for me. Well, there was a day when go get her for me meant going all embarrassed and everything. You look around the room for sure to make sure nobody else is there. You were the only one to minimize the embarrassment. And you got the pornography thing or you got National Geographic or whatever. And you put it upside down and you told us I want to pay for this. Because you want to pay. Mighty move of God in service, wonderful service, but we're going home to our iPhones and to our and to our stuff. No one's saying that God isn't using you. No one's saying that the Spirit of the Lord is not upon you. No one is saying that God is not on your life and that you're not a real Christian. But what we're saying is you're running tremendous danger here. Because the problem with Samson is he doesn't see the depth of sin. He doesn't understand that sin's going to take him from a place of great respect and great honor. He is a judge of Israel. And it's going to put him between two pillars with his eyes looked out. And the best that he's going to be able to ask God with a destroyed marriage and a destroyed family and a ruined reputation and made a mockery of all of the people in a weakened position. The very best he's going to say is, hey God, I'm going to take all these people, but I'm going to Powerful than the word, the Spirit of God moved upon us is the Word of God. Yes, His guide. The Word of God. Yes, His light. The Word of God. Yes, His direction. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my feet. And uh, 
whatever that scripture says. I'm sorry, I, I don't get it right now. It's a lamp unto my feet and a, and a light unto my path. The word of God is what's going to direct me. I'm not going to be led by feelings. I'm not going to be led by, oh yeah, the spirit of God, God really used me at this event. Or God helped me to preach over here. Or God helped me to be good with my wife when I was with her. No, God wants to move upon all of our lives. And the only thing that's going to help you there is this Bible called the Word of God. If you get it in your heart, it's going to keep your way clean. <laughs> the absolute amazing thing to me is that this guy, Samson, makes it to the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. You know what that's called? It's mercy. It's called mercy. Well, Samson said, you better believe he was saved. How did he get saved? Because he was a good man. Oh, man, he messed up a lot. Because he had a perfect marriage? Absolutely not. Because he married the right woman? No, absolutely not. Because he didn't play with the world? No. Because he didn't play with his covenant with God? No. He messed up in every one of those areas. Why is Samson saved? It's grace. For by grace are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you know why Samson's story is so important? Because it reminds us of the seriousness that every one of us need to give to sin. I'm done. It reminds us, don't play with it. Don't flirt with it. It's going to destroy you if you're not careful. So, well, Pastor, I just want to be saved. If that's all you want, you're setting the bar too low. I'm going to say it again. You can tweet this. If all you want to do is get yourself saved, you're setting the bar too low. God wants you to be saved, and he wants... Your mama, your papa, your brother, and your sister, your son, and your daughter, and your neighbor to be saved. He wants you to have a great ministry, but he also wants you to have a great testimony. He wants that when somebody buries you in the day of your burial, they will say, this was a good woman. This was a woman that lived for the glory of God. This was a man that knew how to keep himself in the midst of all of those temptations. God used him mightily, but his family also loved him mightily. He was a great man behind the pulpit, but he was a wonderful man in the streets also. He was a great expositor of the word of God, but he was also a great family man. God wants us to be saved, not just for eternity, but he wants our testimony to be glorious and powerful in the presence of God. And so listen to this. Now, here's what God is saying. Take sin seriously. It's going to bring balance to the Christian life. And I, I give you guys this much. I'm done. I'm done. I give you guys this much. It's just so that we'll understand. Because there's some that are playing. You say, well, pastor, you judging me? No. No. Listen. Listen. Here's the last verse that I'm going to give you as I end. Let's all stand. Romans 4.1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, everyone say the flesh, has found. For if Abraham were justified by works, 
he have word of to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. So at the end of this message where I've talked so much about sin, and I'm sure, I mean, some of this has to have connected somewhere, right? Because we're all sinners. Here's a great message. Jesus loves sinners. I don't know where you're at, but I want to tell you right there where you stand, Jesus loves you. And I want your heart to be right with him. You say, how do I get my heart right with him? You believe. Here's what you don't do. You don't try harder. That's interesting, isn't it? You believe. Because you can try harder, and if you're successful, you get the credit. But you know what really transforms a life and what makes a difference is that we're not trying harder, we're believing. We're believing in a God that is holy, and a God that is righteous, and in a God that is graceful and forgiving. There's this balance in our lives. We know God wants us to live righteous and holy lives. And we're trying. God knows we're trying. And on the other hand, when we mess up, God is saying, don't let it happen again. Let it come again. Because you're all right. And every one of us knows where it is to fall back. I don't know which guy said it. I mentioned it days ago in the, in the message the key to a successful Christian life or anything is not that you fell down seven times but that you chose to get up the eighth you never gave up you kept believing you kept trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ so I don't know how close or how far you are from the Lord or you feel from the Lord today. I want to tell you this. This whole message was designed around one point. Not to make you feel guilty, but to make you understand your need for living right and turning from your sin. And then the great blessing that God has given us of his acceptance. You can come again and say, I, I need you again. And I don't care how many times that happens. It's going to happen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in your life. And you're going to come back every time and say, I'm still fighting. Still trying. I'm still believing. I'm still moving forward in the faith. And every time you come believing, God says, and I'm still forgiving. <laughs> and I'm still washing. And I'm still lifting you up. And I'm still giving you strength. Isn't it great to know that God loves us and that he's got us covered? 
Or look at your neighbor and tell him, God's got you covered. He's got you covered by grace. We're going to come to this altar as a praise team ministers to us. And uh, anybody here covered? I know we have brothers and sisters here. Let me just start there This as I end this service. That... um that have not been baptized, but you're thinking about what, not you're thinking about, you've made a decision you're going to be baptized. April, when we have our baptisms. And I'm going to call you to come to the front. If you've made a decision to be baptized in Jesus' name, if there's anybody here, listen, listen now, that's made a decision to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, come April. I want you to come forward. We want to pray for you. I want you to make a public confession of your need for Jesus Christ. And your commitment to be baptized and surrender your life to him this morning. I see you coming, brother. God bless you. Anybody else in this house that says, it's my time. This is my time. Thank you, brother. God bless you, sir. Love you, man. Anybody else here just say, it's my time, pastor. I believe. You guys can look at me. See, you don't have to look at them. I, it looks better up here. Anybody else just says, Pastor, I'm ready. I believe. Come on. Just come on up. Come on. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be fearful. If there's anybody else that will say, this is my moment, my hour. April, I'm getting baptized in Jesus' name. And I'm surrendering my life over to him. All right. Let's all just lift up our hands and our voices. Everyone, let's just give God praise and glory right now in Jesus' holy name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your power in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hold on a second here now. Every one of us that get back, come on up here, brother. You come on up here too. Every one of us that got baptized in Jesus' name have a different story to tell. Some of us came out of broken lives and some of us came out of pretty good lives. Some of us came out of broken marriages. Others had good marriages and, and all kinds of stuff. Drug addiction, in other words, never touched drugs. You know, some of you were really like holy. Well, you weren't holy. You thought you were. And other people knew they were terrible sinners. Our stories are all different. But, you know, wherever you are and whatever your story is, Jesus is the one that's going to bring you into the family of God. And he's the one that makes a difference in every one of our lives. So I'm just going to ask him to share real quick. You get 15 to 30 seconds. Because I'm the preacher here. Right? You never know. Some of these guys someday might be a preacher, you know. They might start showing the fruit right now. We'll have to sit down again. So, just going to share a little bit. You're you're ready to get baptized? You want to? What? What? How'd you get here? Um, praise him. Uh, I, I got here uh, by really not by choice, by family, because uh, for what I found out, generation after generation has been here, and I just always been tied to this church. You know, somehow I, I go somewhere else, and it, it just doesn't feel like home. It's kind of like. It's kind of like being told, or you can go ahead and take your, your shoes off at somebody else's house, but you just don't want to because it's just you don't feel right. Maybe you're out of respect, maybe you're out of discomfort. And uh, walking up here in the parking lot, 
Yeah, faces I don't recognize, but still it's like, you, you know what you want. Yeah, you, you're here, it feels right. It feels right, so. baptized because well, you know, there's throughout life you know unless you have uh, been witnesses there's no other way better way than, than to choose Jesus um, thank you for having us here and uh, shout out to James and Gabriel praise the Lord and, uh, that's awesome that's good that's good hey listen come on down here guys and I bless you thank you Listen, it's, it, I know there's more people in this place. You're right at that moment right now, and God is calling you. He's still calling you. And you maybe today's not today to get baptized, but for some of us here, it's the day that we got to get our heart right with God. And you've been baptized already maybe, and you're kind of like walking just a little distance too far away. And Jesus is saying, hey, come on, come on. I just want to love you. I want to embrace you. I want to make your heart right. I want you to confess your, your sin, your need for Jesus. Today's the day to make it 100% right with God. So let's all come to this altar and let's just thank God because he's been good to us. And let's sing unto the Lord. Come on up. This altar is open. If you want to be in touch with the Lord, just come. Thank God for our brothers that are going to be baptized in Jesus' name.
to heaven if you've never received you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior giving him all of your heart right now is a good moment to do it and even if you've done it already it would not harm you to say Jesus I surrender my life to you Jesus I give you my heart I give you my mind I give you my body I surrender everything to you and I pray that you would come to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. Come on, open your lips right now and just wherever you're at, just say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. Jesus, I give you my heart and my mind. If you'll say it, Jesus will come and he'll resolve the problem of sin in you. Lift up your voices unto the Lord and just thank Him because He washes you. Thank Him because He lifts you up. 